listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 98 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and I'm here as usual with my cohorts, Hassan Godwin and Latham Conger III. Oh, Our, now I'm a cohort. You're a cohort. Our <laughs> guest tonight, working in Chicago radio since 1990, leading to an Emmy nomination in 1997, and podcasting for over 15 years, the creator of the multi platform program Word Balloon. And if you don't know what it is, you should. John Suntries, welcome back to Cinemental. Hey, boys. Good to see you. Thank you for uh, welcoming me back. I appreciate it. Especially Happy to have you back. After uh, making you guys watch uh, Armed and Dangerous. I know that. Well, you know, we, we oh, felt really this bad. guy. Okay. We, now we, <laughs> we, we felt really bad about savaging you for Armed and Dangerous. So, uh, well, well, Latham didn't. But we Hassan and I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Put it on this cohort. <laughs> Hopefully this week was a little more. Those of us with a soul felt bad. That's ah, all. Right there you say. Go. That's all. <laughs> Souls don't exist, Hassan. Let's not go down that road. Um, huh? So, <laughs> anywho, let's uh, let's all suffer from consumption. Latham, would you like to start us off? Well, I was supposed to see Army in the Army of the Dead with a friend in a theater, but no theater had it between us, so we didn't get to go see it because. I don't know. It was at one theater and it didn't work. So it sucked. I didn't. I know it's on Netflix, but we wanted to watch it in a dark theater together and we didn't. So I did not see Army of the Dead. So that's not really something for this part of the show, is it? No. (laughs) If we talk about the 5,800 movies I didn't see. So I'll just shut up about that now. We might be here a while if we talk about all the stuff (laughs) we didn't watch. Well, I'm sure you guys all watched it. So I did not see it. I wanted to, but didn't see it. John John didn't see it. No. I didn't see it either. I've heard very polarizing opinions on it too. too. Some people said they did not like this movie. Um, So uh, I. You know, we didn't really watch much. I didn't really watch much else, except uh, we started watching uh, *Mayor of Easttown*. And okay. let me tell you, the first episode—I uh, get why some people call it a slow burn. I think someone on this show called it very slow. Uh, the first episode masterfully, masterfully introduced about twenty-five characters and twenty-five suspects. And it was brilliant. I thought it was like as good as the first episode of Twin Peaks. That's how much I liked it. Okay. And the second one was just as good. And that's where we're at. So now, as we were joking on text before, we have to catch up before the finale on Sunday. Uh, so we have four episodes to watch. But wow, is Kate Winslet good in this show? Uh, as, as is everyone. But she is especially 
and typically uh, unglamorous and really great in this show. I'll have and, to uh, I'll have to uh, try and watch that this next week so that we can uh, discuss it after its finale. Well, you, I thought week. you would watch it. No, no, Hassan was watching it. No, I, I know I, Hassan was. I thought I, you would I, too. No, okay. I was not watching it, so I will try. Well, I was, and... Someone someone just tweeted that they saw the the last episode, so I don't know if that means it's up or if they just got it's an early not. screener. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't believe that, but uh, they might be. You know, and, it, and and then they they claim that it wrecked them. So I mean, I oh, guess boy. we're in for a whirlwind. Um, the uh, the guy who directed it, Craig Zobel, uh, is the guy who directed this movie called Compliance, which yeah. I can't recommend enough because it's just easily one of the weirdest movies you'll ever see just a unique story based on a loosely based on a true story uh just a really really unsettling scene in the, that happens at some point in the movie uh it's it, if you if you appreciate film you got to see this movie compliance it's just so strange and so if you know it's best to go in knowing nothing about it and just just watch and see see how it unfolds because it is it is uh, rough at times and and yet feels all too close to home. Um, so yeah, that's all I really watched was uh, was that. Uh, no and other... the movies for tonight, obviously. Well, right, but but no other no other movies or anything this week. No other movies. Um, I start I started watching. Uh, the one I have on DV, Naked in New York. Oh, right. You said something get, about that. Did not get very far, uh, just 10 minutes in. So I'm not, can't really comment on it. It's, it's what I, it's what I thought it would be. And it's funny. One of the stars of that movie is in one of the movies we're watching tonight too. So, <laughs> All right. and it's around the same, the same time period too, when it came out. So. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Hassan. Uh, I didn't do much uh, this week. Um, I'm still going through. I'm still using uh, Downton Abbey as background noise. Um, yeah, I've got I've I've got one of those this week that I've, that I've been using as background noise this week. So uh, I saw I saw uh, Army of the Dead. Shoot. Uh, and general thoughts. Well, you know, did you like it at the end when they cured zombieism? I mean, I was shocked. I was very <laughs> surprised that that's how. Uh, Oh, oh, sorry. Um, Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and C-3PO was there. C-3PO is always there. I don't know why. Um, I saw uh, I saw a Dr. Sleep yesterday. You, you, you didn't see whether time. or not you liked it. Uh, I, I guess. Not polarizing for him. He's somewhere in the middle. It, it's okay. Like, I mean, some of the stuff that I would say about it would would involve spoilers which okay is why well, i'm, I'm just curious about whether yeah, or not I would, whether you'd you would say you know uh, it, it overall... has this, it, it's got this thing which i don't think will be spoiler enough to ruin anything for anybody it's got this kind of phenomenon that happens in a lot of these movies where they establish a lot of characters and then um everything runs through the first and second act and then it's almost like they realize we're running out of time and we haven't killed anyone yet and then every, and then and then tons of people die stupid, in my right. opinion. Okay. Okay. So you know, so and that you know, your mileage may vary on what stupid is, you know. So that's that's why what I mean, of course, you know there's unprecedented loss of life in this film. So <laughs> you know, it's that's not giving anything away. Yeah. Um 
So when everybody has seen it, we can we can talk about it. And and I I'm sure there will be several different uh, points of view on it. Um, I I didn't I didn't not enjoy it. You know I I you know I didn't think it was a waste of time. Didn't feel bad to see it. The the one thing I will say about it is, uh, I I enjoyed it for what it is, and uh, it's a it's it's his own it's his it's a new take on zombie films essentially is really if you want to look at it that which is not necessarily a new take but it's a it introduces some new concepts some new ideas which i'm always open for especially in, in a in a uh, a genre that has been so done to death no pun intended mm-hmm. um and i'll tell you and i'll send i'll send you guys a Dolce, link to this evening dolce said zombies are dead unironically yeah, I know. without even realizing it I know. And, and i almost lost my <laughs> like, like you idiot uh, and uh but I'll, I'll tell you this though uh i got done with it and i felt that i mean there was just there was just so many things glaring that kind of pulled me out of it when i'm watching it that it sort of left it left me with a lower thought of the of the actual overall film but a friend of mine posted something and I posted a link to a YouTube video utilizing <clears throat> reporting stuff that's been gleaned from Zack Snyder interviews since the film has been released and explains and points out all this different stuff in the movie, which kind of made me like the movie more, but also yeah. annoyed me more about Zack Snyder. It made me think see, less of the filmmaker and more of the film, if that makes sense. But you got to see, like, now I'm like, well, what do you mean? By that? Well, I'm going to, I'll send you a link to the video so you can check it out because there's just like, it's, this is like Transformers more than meets the eye stuff. If all <laughs> the stuff that he's saying, and this is, oh. this is part of like the commentary that I was making on the show during the, during the show tonight, during your show tonight, um, when it comes to that. And obviously this isn't going to air for a few weeks anyway, but so obviously right. you'll all have seen it by then, but, um, but there's stuff in there that, I mean, it just seems like, you know, and I just thought of this idea tonight is this, what if Zack Snyder <clears throat> comes up with his story, knows it has problems, but he puts it out anyway. And then he waits for all of his minions and the fans to come up with their ideas and theories about what they think he's done or is the backing part of his films or whatever. And then he picks stuff out of there to basically then work into his own narrative and to where he, the point where he then goes, yeah. And then what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to take this and do this and make this happen. It's like, and I'm like, he's crowdsourcing his own world building. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's art in, art in motion basically it's, it's interactive yeah i mean it's a different it's the same thing as when you make a movie and then you go with go give it to test audiences and then you change it based on the test audiences i mean right that's but this is that's a different form of art i don't right but that's the but that's like before art. it comes out publicly you're still, you're still doing private screenings and making changes to the edit before it comes out i'm saying once it's released to the public in it's quote unquote final form then he goes well, I, this guy had a really great idea. I think I'm going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, that's that's confirmation. <laughs> that's confirmation bias. That's just fitting an answer around your on, around the question that you want asked. I mean, that's right. it's 
you, okay. you can always I, do it. It's, it's spinning. He's basically spinning it. So if he wants well, to do that, that's fine. We'll never know because we'll never know unless there is a origin screenplay with your story ideas that's stamped with a date. I mean, there's just no way to know that. So it's, okay. uh, I, I was really, it was more of a, a, just a fun idea. I was positing rather than getting into a serious, you know, uh, physiological or you know psychological discussion about it i, I don't yeah. want to get into a physical de- physiological I, debate I about mean, it i just yeah, want the protein yeah I, I, yeah <laughs> there, you, there you go so i'm i'm i guess i'll just shut up now uh go ahead Hassan. my turn um or i'm uh, sorry go ahead Hassan. Uh, it's um yeah that army of the dead um the two movies that we watched i watched uh, the the season finale of uh, uh the equalizer which i you know, I was like, all right, I enjoy this show, I guess. The episode of The Bad Batch, you know, I guess I'm enjoying that also. Um, and then I just kind of, TV went dark. And then, like I said, last night I saw Doctor Sleep for the first time. Uh, Do you like it? Worth. No. Nathan, Nathan, I mean, yeah, Nathan, it's okay. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's a slow burn, but it's it's pretty. It's okay. It's a mo- so, you know, you're, trying to, you're trying to, you know, make a sequel to, and you're trying to make an impossible sequel to The Shining. I mean, yeah, I give the guy credit because he he did his best. That's that's how I look at it. Well, uh, did you read the book? Fuck no, I don't read. You're you're reading Stephen King's The Outsider right now. Except for that, he doesn't read. And and other than and, that, and Hassan's book, but I guess we're not going to bring that. <laughs> no, he's not. Either. That's not a book. That's technically uh, yeah. not a book. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I I I, I love Doctor Sleep. I I came out of that um, movie and I was I was astounded at what Flanagan was able to do with Stephen King's story and, and how, how just completely palatable he made it. I mean, just as a film, that story to come off of the shining, the film and that the, the bits and pieces that they have that tie directly to the original film are done really well. Okay. Okay. I, I was really happy sure. with Dr. Sleep, but you didn't like, you didn't like it as that. I didn't not like it, but there are, I, and I was impressed. I was impressed with the visuals and I was also impressed with like how many characters were able, they were able to establish and keep up with in the story. Um, there were superfluous things in it that turned into just fan service because they didn't lead to the ultimate resolution of the story. Like, you know, say that scene where he's talking to his dad, you know, it's like, now I, I know that there's a, there's a director's cut where that actually has a resolution that leads into the, the final confrontation, but the, the, the way they cut it together, it's like, this is, this is nonsense. Like this, this, this information is nonsense because the guy's denying that he's his dad and he, and he's insisting that he's his dad and they're not going, they're not really going to any kind of resolution. They don't come to any kind of conclusion on that. And it just kind of ends. So, right. So there's there's a couple of scenes like that that are like also my attitude about it is what it what is the launch like what are those ghosts you know since well, they can interact with reality in such a way there's a little so, vagueness to the story of I course mean, and then, yeah. and I mean that might be Stephen King you know that's that may not be Flanagan that might be Stephen King because he's he's prone to vagueness also in, with his mythologies so. But I mean, other than that, it was a, it was a really strong story, um, and I, like I enjoyed it. Guy. I thought it was well put together. You like mm-hmm. the woman playing the, the bad guy, Ferguson? Maybe? Yeah, from oh, from Mission Impossible. Um, oh, I didn't know which which Mission. She's Impossible. in the last two Mission Impossible oh, movies. I didn't, I didn't know it. 
she's she was really good um and her role was really good again and then see this is the this this is the delicate balance if you explain too much it's ruined if you don't explain enough it's ruined but you just really never find out what those people are you know and then they leave it open. Hey, if we make enough money off of this, there could be all their, you know, supernatural life forms out there that want to, you know, the, the only shining people can can see and interact with. Yeah, that's so, so, you know, but I mean, it was, again, like I said, it wasn't, uh, I didn't hate it. But I was, you know, no. and, it, but it, and it does have your typical Stephen King ending, you know, so. I will say it's the ending I wanted to see when I when when the ending that that the way things end in the movie, when they set that device up earlier in the film, I'm like, I really hope that's how they end it. And when they did, I was very satisfied. So that's again, that's, that's just me. Has everyone seen it? Everyone on this panel has seen it. OK, it does kind of contradict itself in the end by saying that one thing happened and then the, the last scene in the movie it implies it didn't. Yeah, so. that's true. So that's, that's a good point. You know, that's a thing. Hard I love repeat. the original. I, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. As I get older, I see less and less horror, and I'm just indifferent to horror. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. when, I, when I find myself in a situation where I see a horror film, I'm either satisfied or not, but I don't really seek it out. And that's why even I might see Army of the Dead. I may not because I've been over zombies for a long time. I will, t- I will tell you this: it's barely a horror film. Okay, there's, there's that's, a couple that's of horrific ugly. moments, though. If you're not a horror person, there are some horrific. Scenes oh, there is. There's some. Oh, very, I don't mind that. There's very oh. strong violence in it. Hey, uh, Bone Tomahawk is an amazing movie, <laughs> and and I've I've had several conversations recently with uh, Craig Zoller, the director. Yep. And I have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker, and I love that movie. And I mean, that's a horrific movie. So, right. you know. I think I tend to think that very few horror movies have clever premises. Either the premise is going to be clever and the movie is not, or the movie, the the premise is going to be rudimentary, but the movie is very clever. Right. The movie excels the, the, the premise. Absolutely. Or exceeds the premise. Yeah. And some, and a lot of times with horror, it's, you know, it's more missed than hit to the Mm -hmm. point where it sets you up with a lot of excitement as when it starts. And then it just, doesn't almost it doesn't always. fall right. through right almost always hmm? almost always yeah yeah well yeah i mean i don't want to i don't want to say it always i've seen some really like and and those movies have genuinely worked on me like you know like the genuinely freak me, freak me out you know in some ways but sure a lot of times it just it just doesn't you know this that you know and i'll be right there going you would not do that. You know, like I would not, <laughs> no one would do that. Or somebody, there's a, there's a lot of anachronisms in, in horror in order to scare you. It has to kind of, it kind of has to defy reality in order to get you um, when you, when you're least expecting it. But a, a lot of times in defying reality to get you, it also defies its own logic. And so you're like, okay, you got me with a jump scare, but now you've ruined the rest of your movie, you know? <laughs> so, so that's kind of what bugs me about uh, horror movies. It sort of does that in, in um, Dr. Sleep, but not to any egregious level. It's a very, it's a very well-told story. Like I said, again, the special effects are good. The villain is, is uh, appropriately menacing. And, uh, oh, and also Matthias is in it from, yes. uh, from Long Liar. Yeah. So that, that's always cool. 
Yeah. Um, but there are things if you, you know, that that are just like, oh, come on. I think and then it led to today. Today I watched the the two movies. So that's that's all I my my consumption was just completely lackluster for this last week. So well, if you thought your consumption was lackluster, wait till you hear mine. Well, okay. Uh I guess we've mm-hmm. suffered enough. Uh all right. Anyway. So uh <clears throat> John's primary film pick. Point blank. Walker is an emotional and primitive man. Lee Marvin is Walker, the hunter and the hunted. You ever meet Walker? He makes my flesh crawl. And what do you really want? I, I really want my money. I want my 93 grand. Even deserted Alcatraz Island is not immune to Walker's vengeance. You're a very bad man, Walker, a very destructive man. Why do you run around doing things like this? Feel the blast of emotions and point-blank rage. Know the mental agony that overwhelms and consumes at point-blank range. Experience rapid-fire action at point-blank range. Things aren't done this way anymore, Walker. Let's be reasonable. From 1967, directed by John Borman, with a running time of 92 minutes. A man is double-crossed, shot, and left for dead after a heist. Once he gets better, he goes after the man responsible, and he moves from person to person, reaching the next higher person in the organization, one step closer each time to reclaiming what's his. John, why'd you pick Point Blank? Oh, I, I, I adore this movie and on so many levels. It's, you know, based on um, uh, Douglas, Douglas, um, Donald Westlake, Donald Westlake. Thank you. I was going to say Douglas Westlake, you know, and I mean, again, like uh, there's so many comic book connections to this movie. Yeah. You know, very recently, Darwin Cook, before he passed away, was doing uh, the Parker books. And that's Walker is uh, Lee Marvin's character based on the Parker novels. Right. Um, John Borman. This is very early in his career. I think it's a a masterful directing directing job and a lot of ambitious choices it's like of a how second or third it. film yeah and i mean um and you know lee marvin is so great john vernon dean yeah. wormer from animal house menacing in this movie you got you got prime angie dickinson and you even get a little naked angie dickinson there's nothing wrong with that um <laughs> i'll be honest um no it's it's a fascinating film and, and there's a lot of theories about um, the uh, the narrative of the movie too, because as you say, Walker is left for dead. Some people wonder, is he dead? I mean, and right. he's almost like a specter in the movie. And and there's God, that great scene with him and his uh, ex wife. Yeah. Uh, when when he's just staring at her, and she's like doing all the dialogue. Yeah. And it's like it's almost this like we were talking about Doctor Sleep and stuff. It really is almost like is he this specter that is haunting all these people and stuff. But obviously, you know, it's probably more grounded than I think some of the theories give it credit. But um, you guys probably know, too, uh, depending on your level of comic book knowledge, um, Gil Kane did that amazing graphic novel one shot called His Name is Savage. Yep. Clearly based on point blank. I mean, the way he drew Savage, the 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 lead is very much a Lee Marvin character. In fact, the cover is blatantly Lee Marvin, uh, this painted cover that he did. Yeah, I just I really love it. It's it's everything you want from that era 
of uh, detective movies like uh, uh, Harper. It reminds me of uh, the Paul Newman film yeah. Harper in a lot of ways. And yeah, so that's to me, it's it's great. And it was so great to learn that it is one of those films that the National Registry are like, no, we got to preserve this film. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, yeah, I've, I've loved it since the moment I've seen it. Yeah, I, I actually uh, saw this movie for the first time uh, early last year. Uh, I wow. ran across it on Amazon. It was on Amazon at the time. And I'm like, oh, shit, I've never seen that. And uh, I watched it then. Really, really liked it. And uh, and watch it again this time. It was fun to watch uh, from the standpoint of I didn't you know, I knew the story already. And obviously, you know, the story already. If you've seen the movie Payback, which is yes. another adaptation of the story. Uh, you know, very similar. Uh, and in that movie, the name, the name of the guy is Porter. That's right. Instead of Parker. Um, mm. And I found out why, though, in these adaptations, why the name is always slightly off of the name Parker. And apparently Westlake had it in his de- in his, the deal that you could not call the character. If you were making an adaptation of a, of a film based on the Parker books, you couldn't, you couldn't call the character Parker unless you were planning on making a series of films. Oh, wow. Because he wrote oh. 20, eventually wrote 23, 23, 27, something like that. Parker books with this wow. character. Wow. And, you know, he said, if we're going to name a guy Parker, you're going to be doing more than one film. And if you're going to do a one-off, that's fine. I don't mind selling you the story, but you got to call him something else. Interesting. Fair enough. And apparently there's a, a funny line in one of the books. I, I, don't know which one it is, but apparently there's a line uh, where they're referring to Parker in the story and the guy can't remember his name. And he says, I don't know, it's Walker or Porter or something like that. And so that's it's funny that those were the two names that they eventually went back and took in those two adaptations of the story. Uh, this movie's this movie's great. This movie's a lot of fun. It's just you're, it's a it's a real, real simple story. You know, you know, you go back to to Hassan's favorite thing about Parker parked the car, uh, you know, from the that that interview with Westlake. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is just I, I it really makes me want to go and, and follow up and, and track down the books and kind of read some of them because They're great. This They're just amazing. seems like they would just be fun. Couple hundred pages, you know, fly through them in a night or two. Yep. Just fun, silly criminal you know crime stuff but um yeah it's classic detective and and spy and and hitman paperback fair i mean this is what made paperbacks as great as they were in the 50s and 60s yeah there was uh there was some stuff that i really liked watching at this time um the the scene where he he slips the wedding ring back on his dead wife's hand that really stood out to me as is that just a just a, a really perfect moment and that scene when he's fighting the two guys uh, behind the stage in the club and he, and he's got that one guy down and he just punches him square in the nuts. <laughs> right? I'm like, you never see anyone fight like that. And it's like, it's like, I great can, cast I, too. I mean, Keenan oh, Wynn and Carol O'Connor yes, and yes, uh, obviously again, uh, you know, Angie Dickinson is amazing in it. John Vernon is amazing in it. Yeah. Every, well, and did you, did you guys spot Sid Haig? Uh, oh, I hotel, forgot about Sid Haig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was one of the guards in the lobby at the hotel. He was it was his fourth film. For for me, one of the that's full a head of hair and everything. <laughs> one of the one of the tough guys in it is former heavyweight contender Roland Lestarza, 
who was a contemporary of Rocky Marciano's. Wow. And, and it's, we, yeah, we, I mean, and I, again, that when I first saw it, I'm like, wait a minute, I think that's Rolling the Stars. And I checked the credits and it is Rolling the Stars. So that, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, Borman, Borman had the script that was written originally and tracked down Lee Marvin in England, in London, where he was shooting Dirty Dozen. Yep. And they sat down to look at this. And the, the thing that they both loved about the story was the Parker character. And they hated the script. Yes. And they threw the script away. And they, 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 they went ahead and redid it with these other Pete, with these other two guys and came up with the script that basically they had. And, and Marvin had the juice at the time that when the deal was made for the film, Lee Marvin had final say over casting had final say over final cut. Um, he had all the control of basically over the film himself. And he sat down in a meeting with the execs of the, of the, of the, uh, of the studio, studio. With him and, and and after you know he had said that John's going to direct this, and he said we're clear that I have final say on cut casting everything else, and they're like yes absolutely Lee and he goes great I defer all my decisions to John see you later gets up and walks out of the meeting, and so Borman on his second or second or third film is like well then all right, <laughs> and he delivered I mean yeah, it's a great absolutely. It's- isn't it interesting that um, the Angie Dickinson character they wanted Stella Stevens? Yes, the studio, yeah. and he's like, and they're and and uh, Borman and Marvin are like, no, we want Angie, and I can't, I, I, and this is a great period for Stella Stevens and a lot of great films as well. That said, I can't imagine her doing the role the way Angie did because I really liked Dickinson. Just had it, it, it doesn't show up in a lot of her movies, but every now and then she really shows that she had a great quality in the right circumstance. Yes, I agree a hundred percent, but it was funny too. I read that her, she had appeared with Lee Marvin in a movie in the killers in 64 and she was not a fan of his. So it's like, they brought her in to do this movie and she like never, apparently he dangled her out of a window in that movie and she never forgave him for it. Um, but Marvin's preference and sort said Marvin's preference uh, of the roles that he wanted the role to go to Peggy Lee. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. That that uh, is interesting that they ended up great in um, Pete Kelly's blues, which is that fifties Jack Webb movie where he's a trumpeter in, uh, in new Orleans. And it's a prohibition gangster movie. Pete Kelly. And it was even made into a very good radio show as well, but Peggy Lee acts in that movie. So that's very interesting. But uh, so at least she got to enjoy the the scene where she gets to beat on him a little bit, uh, even though he is absolutely yes. immovable and stoic. While she's just just slapping and punching and hitting him, and that kind of goes back to the whole: is he is he really there? Is he is he a ghost or whatever? Because she is just pounding the crap out of him, and he, he's just not flinching. He's a statue, absolutely nonplussed. Uh, uh, Latham, what'd you think of uh, Point Blank? Well. It's not a bad movie, I'd say. Um, I felt like I was watching uh, an art house movie, you know, for a while. And this yes. movie's movie only an hour and a half. So, you know, there's these long takes that I'm like, okay, we don't have a lot of time here, guys. This movie's an hour and a half. Let's go. Let's move it along. Uh, the scene, the, the use of sound in this movie is really like striking at times and well done. 
Uh, my favorite, I think my favorite like montage or scene in the movie is when he's walking in the airport yeah, and the steps just keep going and going and going over the other scenes. And that just, you know, that doesn't always work well, but it worked really well here. Um, you know, it's, it, 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 I see its place in cinema history. I, I, I get it. And it, it I, you know, it's, I, I enjoyed watching it. I just don't think it's, I think some of the art house stuff doesn't work as well. Uh, doesn't mix as well with the, um, the film noir aspects of this. I think that at times it does, but, but not always, um, you know, Lee Marvin can carry a movie and it's obvious here. He carries the entire thing. Um, had you seen this Latham? No, no, okay. I've never seen it. I I'd read about it, heard about it. Uh, we talked about it in film class. I think we were. I think we watched it in film class, or, and for some reason, I wasn't there that day and missed it back at Columbia in the way back when when I went there. Um, so I've known about it for a while. I've always wanted to see it, and I'm glad. I, I'm glad I've. I finally got to see it. Um, it just doesn't. Um, it's hard to put into words. I, I mean, it's. I, I like the fact that Borman was being very unique with his direction. You know, like we always say, look at the movie from when it actually came out. I mean, when this came out in '67, with all the westerns surrounding it, and you know, you know, other uh, gritty movies. I mean, this had to stand out as being unique, especially in how he how he presented the story and the mythic quality it contains. Uh, I, you know, I. I, I would say I'm, I'm glad I saw it. I, I don't love it probably as much as you guys, but I, uh, you know, it, it's worth a watch and it will probably uh, gain more respect for me on, on successive viewings. If I watch it again. Okay. Uh, Hassan thoughts. See, what's, what's weird is I'm a really big fan of payback. So it's the blade runner effect again. Like I'm, I'm reverse engineering. Like this is all. Like what, you, what you have to understand is that this is all the first time all this has been seen. You know, this first time that anything, any of these things have been done. So you hadn't seen it either. No, I hadn't okay. seen. It. Um, I slightly disagree with Latham in the sense that I didn't like the, I didn't like the the opening the step montage. Oh no. Um, yeah. Um, Too much. Like too much clomp clomp. There was, there was a lot of like style over substance in this film. Like not, not to not to denigrate the film because I actually enjoyed it, but a lot of the stuff was, a lot of the stylized choices were kind of getting in my way, of like you know like the the nightclub, with the you know with the the singing and the, and that music that really was circuitous and not really going anywhere because it was <laughs> yeah 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 that was screaming in people's faces. I'm with you. You know, like once you once you really notice something you can't like unnotice it like once you know it's just like the steps like wow the steps have been going on a long time okay and this is a style <laughs> choice you know this is a style choice i get it and then it just goes on and on and on it's not really like i said same stuff i said about uh uh dr sleep and uh and army of the dead it's they're not deal breakers but it's, it it, it kind of broke my immersion just because i could say okay that's a style point that's a style choice that's a style choice sure i don't like the end of this movie you know i'm sure it's implied that he came out of nowhere and he unless he's dead yep could be he's dead but it, it could it's implied he came out of nowhere at the end you know and stepped over 
poor Archie Bunker and grabbed him and grabbed what <laughs> may or may not have been money because you don't right. even there's no confirmation whether that was actual money or not. That's, that's right. true. But that's like wow, I've been waiting this whole film to see him succeed, and this is you know that's you know so maybe he was dead because there there's a very blatant scene where he just kind of disappears. He's in the he into disappears the into the shadows. Um. Yeah. So okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I, I when I was finding out some of the th- some of the strange theories that are, have been like John was talking about have tied into this thing over time. I was like, wow, really? And, you know, because when you first read them, you're like, the fuck are you talking about? And then you start thinking of all the different instances through the film, and then you're like, huh? Yeah, and I would hmm. have to watch it again just to just to put that theory to the test because right. I, I didn't hear about that theory until this show, right? So okay. I can, I could, there's, there's a, there's a distinct possibility that, yeah, that, that I would come out of another viewing of it going, nah, yeah, he's probably dead. He's probably not alive. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think the movie needed it. You know, it was, that's the other, that's the other uh, issue I had with the style. I think the movie is the story in and of itself is intricate enough and intense enough that it didn't need a lot of the style choices that it, that it took on. Um, uh, and so that was, I don't think it really bugged me, but every now and then when he did it, I was like, I was very aware that it was, this is style, you know, over, over whatever was supposed to be happening. Yeah. Um, the time jump also after his, you know, he goes, he walks into, he goes into his wife's apartment. She confesses everything to him and she clearly kills herself. Then suddenly there's no furniture in the place. And then, you know, like apparently he lingered there and cleaned up the whole, you yeah. know? So, I mean, that kind of. I get it. You see, I see what happened. I, it, you know, I actually stopped it and went back because I thought I had missed something watching it. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, yeah, I, I clearly missed something here because I think obviously he had someone come to take her body away and then someone else took him and, de- and defurnished the whole house. You know, Yeah, but the scene <laughs> after that is when the guy shows up with the money. I think that's a dream. Uh, uh, maybe they maybe that's a, a, a dream to when they bought the apartment together. I guess. Although there is another scene where he's sitting on the mattress that's been stripped and the bullet holes are in the mattress. That's right. Right. And the cat's on the bed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, which just just made me think of Vanilla Sky, but it's it's just funky. You know, some of this stuff is funky. I get it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I love when he threw the guy off the roof. What's his name? John Vernon. And they use Vernon Wormer. (laughs) Yeah. They, they use a Hitchcock technique with the camera. Yes. I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, which was which is pretty incredible with naked know, John Vernon, not just John yeah. Vernon, but naked John Vernon. Yeah, right. They pay him a little extra. They, they they tossed him a little extra cheese for that. <laughs> don't worry, we're gonna run you over. We're gonna run over all your yeah, private exactly. bits. Don't don't you worry. Not only are you um, gonna fall off a twelve story building, but we're gonna hit you with a car. Yeah. Uh, there is there is this there is something weird in that scene also because he's beaten. He's he's obviously beating that guy up, and the guy. Like some someone else asks him if he's okay. I guess outside in the hallway. Well, the, well, and, one and of the he guards says, steps into the apartment, and but he ties the show. Guys... But you hear him. You, you hear in the background the door open and the guy yell in, "Mal, are you okay?" Or "Hey, Reese, are you okay?" And that's so where did they... that guy go? Well, that's a great question. 
because he because because Lee Marvin throws my man off the off the off the balcony. <laughs> yeah. Those other two guys are tied up on the balcony. So where's that third guy? That, that third guy's the worst guard in cinema history. He, he didn't even bother to peek around a corner. You know, he's worse than every Imperial stormtrooper that's ever been. You know, and then the last guy is shooting at him in the in the parking lot. Right. Cops are clearly there across the street. This guy decides he's going to open up on Lee Marvin or someone because Lee Marvin's very casual while taking cover. He's like, oh, that guy's shooting. Let me just get behind this, you know? And so, and then the cop just, and the cop literally sneaks up behind a guy and jumps him, you know, like, and he shoots him in the leg and then they carry him off. Strange stuff. I like Borman. Borman made one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, which is uh, Excalibur. And um, so I don't really have anything against any of his style choices here. Uh, But there were some quirky stuff in the film that it was really, you know, that that was like, I don't know what that was all about. Um, And I was able to follow it because I was a big fan of the Mel Gibson one, which I understand Borman hates. You know, specifically, yeah, I, um, I I think it's funny that the commentary that uh, that he had about it is that that he had, he envisioned please. in his mind that Gibson walked by as a young man and picked up the bad script off the street <laughs> because it's yeah. actually close to the original script that they said was crap and didn't want to film. But you know what? That's not <laughs> it's not that dissimilar from this film. I agree. Oh, no, no. not You at know, all. so like it, I guess it's like a couple of beats that Borman didn't like. Right, because it's it's virtual. I mean, other than, I mean, Stigman was a big had a bigger role in the the, the Mel Gibson. Yeah, uh, you know, and then you know uh, Lucy Liu. There was a whole bunch of uh, you know side characters that. Yeah. Um, yeah. and this one I kind of enjoyed more because it made a bigger, uh, it made a bigger character out of the hotel. You know that they but yeah. that the outfit is much more impressive in the Mel in the Mel Gibson uh, <laughs> story because this outfit just came apart really quick. Lee Marvin basically focused in on those guys and that infrastructure fell apart. You know, it just came to pieces and they all just started turning on each other. Uh, but it was, I, I enjoyed it. It's there. Uh, it, I a lot of the style beats. I didn't like too much, but I think it was a good movie and I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, payback. I saw payback after I saw the, the first time I saw point blank and I liked it enough I really appreciate the director's cut of Payback a lot more than the original the version. Cut. Yeah, the original yeah. Uh, theatrical cut. But, and again, I, I saw Point Blank first. So to me, it's still the superior story. Yeah, it's the Blade Runner effect. Yes. It's a, yeah. You know, my, my, the, for just in case you don't know, I saw every Blade Runner ripoff before seeing Blade Runner, you know? So <laughs> now Blade Runner is the, 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 the quintessential movie that, that started that pretty much fueled the, the visual genre of science fiction is an afterthought to me, you know, and I'm watching like you. movies like judge dread or whatever. That's still the, the Stallone judge dread. That's still, yep. you know, everything from Blade Runner. And I'm like, Oh, I guess that's a, that's cute. You know, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> like Watchmen in comics. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. if you come to Watchmen late, absolutely. Yeah, you just you just don't understand. You you're not capable of understanding the significance of what you're looking you're at. You're right. You got it, man. Um, but it was it was really good. I enjoyed it. I I I I didn't even know that movie existed. So I I, I had a good time watching it. Cool. 
It's a fun 90 minutes. It really is. It's a, it's, it's you know, real compared to all those other movies from 1960. You know, it is pretty short considering it moves. all that happens in the film. You know, it really, it moves right through. It doesn't, there's yep. no, there's no fat on it. It, 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 you know, I found it interesting and there's a, there's some commentary I found floating around the web about the story structure and how, how like at different points of the movie, they kept flashing back to stuff earlier that happened in the film that, you almost have to search to find out why they're dropping this scene or two in like these real quick cuts of like either something like a beating that happened earlier in the film or something else. Like, why are they referencing that? And you have to stop and like really look at it and try and like think about why those, those scenes are, why the choices are made to put those scenes in there. Um, The, uh, this was the first film that they shot. They actually shot the film in Alcatraz and it was the first film shot there after the the prison closed three years earlier so it had been sitting there untouched for three years uh yeah that scene at the beginning where he where he's where he um he just he just sits with his ex-wife and he's just and he's just sitting there and she's just talking and talking and talking and talking and and he doesn't say after you know after he comes in and shoots the bed and just sits down holding the frame of the gun you know through the where he's got the, the 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 um the cylinder ejected and it was a, that's a, a, that was a Lee Marvin choice that there was that, that scene was supposed to be done in dialogue back and forth. And when they did the initial table read Lee Marvin didn't even tell Borman. He just, when he were the, one of the initial uh, rehearsals for the scene, Lee Marvin just didn't talk. And so the actress just kept going through her bunches of lines and that's how that scene evolved. And Borman was like, you know, Marvin doesn't, you know, he has ideas, definite ideas about how he wants stuff done, but he doesn't tell you, he shows you, he goes, so he, he it's like, he'll just do things on either on camera while we were filming, or he would just go in and do something. And then you'd look at it and go, shit, that, that fucking works great. Yeah. Let's do that. You know, because you know it, why though, you know why that happens right now. Because nobody's going to tell Lee Marvin shit. You know? He knows. <laughs> he knows, like, he's like, because it's, oh, yeah. it's Lee goddamn Marvin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're not going to um, disagree with me, are you, yeah. John? Uh, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mr. Marvin. I'm not going to disagree with you. James Sicking, uh, the guy who <laughs> yes. played the, uh, the assassin in this movie. Um, so when he came in and tried out for the role, uh, Borman rejected him, uh, said he was, his face was too nice. To, to be a to be a killer and he said and Borman said for the next week he would look out through his window in his office at MGM and Sicking was like outside his window like half behind a tree or like behind a hedgerow just staring at him through his window oh my god <laughs> and he said the director eventually walked out and said all right all right I'll, you got the part <laughs> Stop freaking me out. Which is a great goddamn story. Yeah. yeah. That story um, would have ended way different if that was today. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't have been, would have been called. He wouldn't have been allowed on the lot for one thing. It kind of informs how he became the uh, SWAT leader. That's on right. Hill Street Blues. Hill Street later. Blues. Howard. That's right. Um, and of course, uh, the arrogant uh, captain of the uh, Excelsior in uh, Star Trek Three. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. That's right. With the writing crew. Yes. That's Kirk, right. yeah. Right. You do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Um, I always forget that, Tim. 
That him and oh, him and Cameron, who became the captain of the Enterprise in uh, in generations, in generations, absolutely yeah. from Ferris Bueller, definitely. Yeah, and uh, uh, and also back to point blank, there's another Star Trek moment: uh, the used car dealer that he when he smashes the shit out of the car. That's uh, I forget the character actor's name, but he's Roger Corby in that great oh yeah episode. What are little girls made of? That's oh. right. I because. am Roger Corby. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good stuff. What a torture technique. If I'm going to put you in your own car and shake you to death, you know? <laughs> I, mean, just, I guess he gets between those two those two columns and he just drives back and forth. Oh, my God. That's a great And he leaves him with yeah, it. He's like, hey, and then just walks like, away. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know what? I think the suspension's a little off, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't like I don't I don't like the fact that it's a convertible. Yeah. <laughs> also, you got to do something about all this damage. I mean, who's going to buy this? Now? Yeah. And then uh, and Brewster's house, the the big uh, sprawling Hollywood Hills home, is essentially still exists, essentially unchanged. Wow. And it is currently owned by Drew Barrymore, as it has been for the last number of years. Oh, that's insane! Wow. Yep. Drew Barrymore lives there, seventy seven hundred square feet, uh, on on a little over an acre. I was hoping God you'd say her. it's an Airbnb like uh, Sinatra's uh, <laughs> oh, right? first, uh, yeah. Palm Springs house is. That would be, yeah, that would be, a, if you had like like a list of like home or had access to homes in Hollywood where they'd shot famous films, those would be really cool like Airbnb things to, oh like, God, set up, yeah. to set up a business of that, like, you know, shooting locations, you know? Totally. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's point blank. There you go. Uh, I'm not. Okay, well, you turned it off. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I've turned it off three other times. Okay. So. I don't consent to the martini. All right. Uh, I do not consent. And then disconnect. Goodbye. I'm just kidding. So, uh, so John, for the martini, our director is John Borman. And uh, we have discussed John Borman before because we uh, we covered uh, Excalibur on a very great movie uh, on our very first show. Uh, and oh so, yeah, so it's been a while. It's been a little while since we've discussed Mr. Borman's uh, oeuvre. <laughs> Let's talk about Exorcist Two. Oh, I, did Borman that, direct Exorcist too? He really he did. did. Yeah, he's got. He's well, got. He to. That's it. <laughs> that, I guess that actual terminology is debatable, but yeah, I mean, he, well, he pointed the camera and <laughs> or told someone where to point the camera. But yeah, that's that's a tough one. That may be without without having seen the, the majority of his. Uh, his director's catalog that might be what would be considered his worst film and oh, I, and, it's unquestionably his worst movie i mean i haven't even and, seen all of his movies and movie. i think i think <laughs> a lot of people might feel that way about zardoz but <laughs> well that's a little bit campy at least i mean yeah yes yeah heretic i mean i really want to see i'll tell you after reading some stuff about him i really want to see this hell in the pacific oh my god I'm, it's an amazing movie and that's is, funny because and it's just Lee Marvin and Shiro Mifune. I, I yeah, and I was I was debating about uh, should I be invited back? I would love to uh, uh, for us oh. to talk about Hell in the Pacific. All it's right. a fantastic film and and a very interesting character study of both both actors. Um, it's it's I can't you know my favorite 
And and I do think that Excalibur is the superior film, but I'm a big fan of the general from John. Bo- Didn't John Borman direct the general? Yes, I, yes. I, wanted, I was bringing up his IMDb to confirm it, but yeah. Yes. Oh my God. I, I love that movie. I think that's such a great gritty gangster movie that never is in the list of, you know, Godfathers and stuff like that, but absolutely should be. And it is so Irish gangster uh, centric that it, it's fascinating as much as the Godfather is from an Italian standpoint. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with deliverance still. Cause that's a, sure. film. so um, it's uh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome on all levels. It, it is a really good movie. Um, yeah. But I think I, I still have to say that my favorite film of his is Excalibur. Okay. That's my, my favorite thing. To yeah, I get it. And I love it. For me, it's I, I can because I can revisit Excalibur more than I can Deliverance. Yeah, I can. Well, but that's but that is the amazing thing about Deliverance is that you see it once and you know it and it's that stays with you. Yeah. And yeah. that's pretty chilling. I mean, that's why it's effective art. It absolutely is effective. Right. Art. But I'm with you on it. I mean, I love Excalibur. It's a fantastic film. Probably the first Mormon film. I saw as a kid in the theater. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, no, I love, I mean, again, deliverance is great. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm telling you that if you've never seen the general, I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. I really enjoyed Taylor of Panama too. That was uh, that another was a, great one. That was a good movie. Yeah, um, really, really. A good. lot of that stuff from the, from the eighties, I haven't seen the Emerald forest, hope and glory beyond Rangoon. I saw by beyond Rangoon. That's yeah, not bad. I saw it's pretty good. Yeah, I saw I saw more of his '70s stuff than I did his '80s stuff. That uh, Hell in the Pacific was basically remade with uh, Enemy Mine. Yes. Oh, that's okay. Fair. All that's right. Fair. Which Enemy Mine? I think is a pretty good movie. So it's yeah. I think it's a. I think Enemy Mine is a little more sentimental than sure. what Hell in the Pacific oh, yeah. is. Now but, but it's it, yeah. <laughs> but it's still a great movie. Hmm. Very good. Wait, I, I think enemy mine's still a very so good. wait. Helen the Pacific, Michelle Mafuni gives birth to a baby. Exactly. <laughs> Is that what happened? Exactly. <laughs> I strangely, know. I it. strangely enough. Yeah. Yeah. Without A-mom. ever, without ever speaking a word of English. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Lee Marvin. <laughs> yeah. Uncle. Now I must see this movie. Uncle, Uncle H bomb. Oh, stuff. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle, Uncle Ree. Uncle Ree. <laughs> Uncle Ree. <laughs> That's awesome. That's way yeah. worse. That's I never really thought worse. of you, you but For that's sure. interesting, Latham. I never really thought of Enemy Mine as essentially being well, the same the same story. Plot, yeah. I just looked it up. I looked up the pl- just a little bit of the plot, and I'm like, that's Enemy Mine. And I scroll down, and it it has a link at the bottom to Enemy Mine, a similar similarly written war film. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's Two funny. enemies trapped in the same place, and they don't speak each other's language. Yeah. I'll do it. I love Enemy Mine. <laughs> That's a uh, good film. But uh, yeah, John Borman's done some good stuff. Indeed. Um, well, John, uh, thanks so much for coming and visiting us again. Oh, guys, my pleasure. Seriously, I, I 
you know, Stevie puts up the bat signal and I immediately uh, <laughs> flip up the Shakespeare bust and, uh, you know, fly down the bat pole and come running. Dust uh, off I, the old 80s John Candy movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, well, I, that's why I brought now, like I said, that'll be the, the, the mantra moving forward will always be to. Uh, recommend better films than Armand and Dangerous. No, you're at, you're you're absolutely welcome, and I'll, uh, we'll we'll be in touch soon, and we'll get you back on. All right, we'll talk about the Bradstreet t- stuff too, Stevie. Oh, absolutely, buddy, absolutely. All right, cool. All right, see you, pal. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye, bye, John. Bye, John. <laughs> all, all right. So, thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. And you can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Asan Godman, Latham Conger III, John Suntries, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and cash-seeking gutshot criminal, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.